0: Good afternoon. It's Wednesday, the 3rd of August, 2022, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News, your host today, myself, Brian Gerrish, and I'm delighted to have David
1: Scott with me in the studio. Welcome, David. It's lovely to be here, Brian. Uh, Mike Robinson is uh, on holiday, and uh, therefore I get what's termed termed a busman's holiday. The hot seat. In in beautiful downtown Plymouth.
0: Indeed, and unfortunately the weather's gone a little bit downhill, but we won't mention that because the sunshine is coming back. We'd also like to welcome Katie Jo Murfin, who's here today to tell us a little bit about the festival at the weekend. And also we're delighted to have Debbie Evans, UK Column nursing correspondent. Well, some of our viewers have already been asking what sort of initial kickoff story will be. We're going to say uh, we will cover a variety of topics today. So we're going to have a look at the economy. Uh, We're going to look at some of the big organizations that seem to shape geopolitics. Uh, We are going to be let's have a look at it. We're going to be having a look at um, uh, uh, what's been happening around funding of, of some of the larger organizations on the fringe of research development. And that includes uh, connections towards the NHS. And uh, David, you're also we're, going to be having a look at the Tavistock Clinic.
1: Yes, on uh, a, a bit of a good news story. We, we, we're we getting more and more of those these days. Uh, the Tavistock Clinic is uh, closing its doors and uh, we are looking at the fallout from that. Yeah, okay. Well, we're going to kick off by
0: putting the BBC up on screen and I'm going to smile as I do it because we've shown this a couple of times now, but I'm going to stick with it because Uh, This was the BBC just losing track of the plot. It didn't know whether to report on Ukraine or the economy or gas prices. And we'd labeled this as a breakdown on coherent Western political and economic thought. Well, the shambles goes on around us. But um, David, apparently we've got somebody who is, uh, they've got a plan.
1: Uh, Liz Truss has a plan. She, uh, she... She, she is saying we need bold, a bold economic approach, not the failed, cozy brownout brown-out status, uh, status quo. So, uh, astonishingly, Liz Truss is not going to take on the, the economics of Gordon Brown of the Labour Party. I'm sure that's a big surprise to everyone. She continues, if I become PM, I have a plan to deliver higher growth, higher productivity, and more secure futures for all. So, she has a plan. Now, if she knew more about what uh, conservatism and indeed liberty is meant to be about, she would realise we need plans from the many, not from the few. But we're going to get her plan. Um, Details are uh, to be filled in later, it would seem.
0: Okay, let's move on through. Um, What is she talking about? What's the Telegraph
1: talking about? Yeah, so she's going over the problems, right? She's talking about the the cost of living crisis, uh, poor economic growth, highest tax burden in 70 years, all of which is true. And of course, her government created all of these problems, or many of them. Um, And then she continues, um, next one bit. Uh, uh, And and we're talking about the international situation, Um, the uh, Russia, the belligerent Russia, and emboldened China. And she's talking about collective resolve. So, uh, all, all very collectivist uh, from Liz. Now, she gets to the economy, she says, we need a bold approach, um, but there's no detail. And then she says she's a change candidate. So this is, this is political sloganeering. There's no, there doesn't seem to be any substance. I'm the change candidate on the economy. All right? and she's talking about difficult reforms and get, getting things done. So this has been her line all along. Keeping a tight control on the post strings, and the size of the state in check. Now, in check doesn't mean reduce. In check means growing more slowly, I think, yeah. uh, because there's never any discussion about, about getting the government out of our lives in any way. It's never actually reduced. Um, and uh, so that's 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 Liz's um, non-specific uh, um, description of, of her plans. Um, we've this next piece. Uh, we've got um, quite a number of our, of our viewers have been sending this to us. Have noticed another plan, uh, a plan called um, uh, "Don't Pay UK," and this is a plan to not pay the bills from the electricity and uh, energy companies. Uh, so we see here um, the, the 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 website. Now this is a, a three-page website. There's almost nothing there. Um, millions of us won't be able to afford food and bills this winter. We cannot afford to let that happen. We demand a reduction in bills to an affordable level, not specified. We will cancel our direct debits on October 1, if we are ignored. And the campaign starts now with your help. So what this is, is a very strange website that is showing, that is encouraging, essentially, what is the equivalent of a rent strike, but on uh, in, in, in uh, fuel bills. Um, and the economic effect of that, they're looking to get political pressure, to move control over the, over the energy prices to the political realm, um, get governments to force down the, the, the price. And of course, the effect of that would be shortages, rationing, uh, and blackouts, which is always the effect of price controls. So this has been tried a thousand times before. We know how it ends up. It looks like communism. It looks like failure, but it's being pushed. Now, this is a three-page website. One page is asking for donations. There's no indication as to who's behind it. It's all anonymous. But the amount of support it's getting is enormous. So here we have uh, Unity News News Network have noticed that Dominic Cummings is very interested in this. That's an unusual person to be pushing this apparently grassroots campaign. Um, And uh, Unity News Network is saying, Uh, This is astroturfed, this fake grassroots is what they mean there. Uh, And we need to be very, very wary. And and we agree with them. This is is very strange stuff. So I was looking at uh, how much this was being pushed and by whom. And, well, look, the Huffington Post have have picked it up as well. And, uh, again, very much an establishment mouthpiece. And there they've got quotes from the anonymous um, organisers of the campaign. We started this campaign because we're worried about how we'll pay our energy bills. Everyone is struggling to pay it. It will only get worse. So far, around 1,300 people have expressed interest to become an organiser in the town, village and city. And we're going to have a local presence all over the country. And the Independent are pushing it. um, And the Metro are pushing it. And The Guardian are pushing it. This is remarkable for a three-page website. If only, if only we could have the same clout, we could have, we
0: could have ditched all the hard work over the years. We could have just put up three sides, and all of a sudden, the Guardian and the, the it would, would, would come be on board
1: all over the UK press. It'd be remarkable. So the Guardian here report they're anonymous. They're noting that they're anonymous uh, activists uh, behind the don't pay, uh, uh, cancelling direct debits. Um, and, and they spoke to uh, Tom. He said he's one of 15 to 20 people in the campaign. He's vague about his background. He said he's worked in energy adjacent policy. Does that sound like a government want to you? Well, this
0: is where my mind goes. The moment he's anonymous, he doesn't really want to declare who he is, but he's been
1: involved in policy. He's got to be somewhere close to the government. Yes, absolutely. So, so, All very mysterious. And then we go back to Dominic Cummings. This is from Dominic's blog. Dominic, Dominic has a feeling. I've got a feeling, he writes, that if a few people who understood campaigns, much like himself, um, started organizing a network to spread the message, stop paying bills, it could catch fire, and it would catch fire organically without organization. At SW1, he means Westminster, would panic. Threats count for little when people cannot look after the families, he writes. People won't starve. If you can't afford energy and food, then you keep eating and stop paying energy bills. Some will try to organize others to do the same. If we all stop paying, he's quoting someone, if we all stop paying around here, what can they do? They can't send us all to jail. Um, We can't afford to pay, so we shouldn't, so we should try and get others to do the same and pressure London. Maybe they'll have to let us all off. And Dominic concludes the logic is rational. Um, Usually the problem, Bill, he means, doesn't uh, breach some hard to determine critical threshold. But the quality of the British state's contingency planning for emergencies has been terrible. For many years, ever since we got rid of Dominic Cummings, in fact, it's been terrible. Uh, and the steps we started in the summer of 2020 to improve this have been largely abandoned. You see, so they, they're, they're going to get it, the government's going to get in the neck because of this campaign because they don't have Dominic Cummings. So that's his view. And it's, it, he's not mentioning, mentioning the fact that it would cause shortages and rationing uh, and blackouts and a transfer of power, yet more power, To the state and away from anything that looks voluntary. He's he's failed to mention any of these uh, negative consequences. I wonder why.
0: Well, perhaps we could uh, bring Debbie Evans in here because, uh, Debbie, you've been actually keeping track of Dominic Cummings over quite some time and you've consistently said to me, if you want to understand Dominic Cummings, you've got to go and have a look at his blog and see what he's talking about. Just give us a, a glimpse. What's your analysis uh into the mind of this interesting man
2: oh he's got a he's got a unique mind that's for sure whether or not he's mad or whether he's a genius i think i'll leave for others to discuss but why would anybody trust dominic i mean i'm just going to come out and say it why would anybody trust dominic cummings you know since when was he the guru on any of this in fact i would have thought that it was the kiss of death on this campaign which is i i think we should make it clear that This is a campaign, and as you've said, David, it's run by Anonymous. These are people that aren't willing to put their faces out there or their names out there to to support this. And when you look at it, it's asking a million people to pledge not paying their direct debits. And, yeah, it looks like a great idea, the whole tax moment of of, of this time, I guess. But the most vulnerable people are going to be the ones that sign up to this pledge but they're gonna be reliant on nine hundred and ninety-nine hundred thousand other people actually canceling their direct debits, otherwise they're gonna get cut off. This could leave the most vulnerable people in the most vulnerable positions. People could lose their homes. If they if the power companies just switch them off, which they could. People could lose their incomes, they could lose their homes. This could be catastrophic. And I see this as Dominic Cummings gaslighting, to be absolutely honest, and I would urge caution.
0: Okay, thank you for that, Debbie. Just just gives a, give us a tiny little snapshot into some of the sort of language that you've seen Dominic Cummings using on his blog. You've commented many times that if you go on that blog, It's almost like he's talking a secret language to people who are in a particular network.
2: Yeah, it's ARPA, which is the UK equivalent of DARPA, only on research. It's the dream machine. It's Quark and the Jaguar. It's his book list. Just look at what he writes. This man has got a vision for the UK and he is going to do everything he possibly can to make sure that, that that vision is fulfilled. And it's terrifying. Honestly, it's absolutely terrifying. You've only got to look at past accounts of his blog to see where he's going. I mean, he was responsible for the the academies, let's, let's not forget, with Michael Gove. And those were a complete and utter catastrophic disaster. So this is a very dangerous man with very crazy, in my opinion, ideas of the way that the UK should go moving
0: forward. Okay, thank you for that. Well, we're going to stay, we'll are going stay on the case with Mr. Cummings, but uh, we'll save that for um, forthcoming news programmes. Uh, now, what about this one, Israel banning the use of cash, David? This seems to have come up at a significant time in the world.
1: Yeah, so this is part of an ongoing process as Israel is, is trying to eliminate the use of cash and reduce the amount of liquid cash in circulation. So it's now, they're now limiting it to only 6,000 shekels. It is the maximum transaction that will be legal uh, in cash? That's about that's about fifteen hundred quid. Uh, so this will make the ten percent of the population in Israel that don't have a bank account essentially criminal overnight. Uh, it will target uh, lots of small businesses, and of course, it's been it's been justified in terms of well, we're going to we're going to target organised crime, uh, and we're going to target terrorism. It's the same it's the same reasons that we see. To, for, to keep us safe. To keep us safe. Yeah. Um, for all of the infringements on uh, liberty in Britain uh, through uh, the Online Harms Bill, etc., it's the same justification, um, and uh, we will be looking at that in detail in extra time.
0: Okay. Thank you for that. Well, let's come back onto the track of the fact that uh, many people in the mainstream media, not only in the UK but in the US, in fact worldwide. Are, having trouble with their reports because they can't get uh, to grips in their own mind as to actually what's happening. So this is The Guardian from a couple of days ago. And uh, oh dear, The Guardian's not happy. The ruble is soaring and Putin is stronger than ever. Our sanctions have backfired. Uh, Well, this is the journalist who's produced this, uh, Simon Jenkins. I've labeled him as a confused Guardian writer. I think he is confused. I think there's cognitive dissonance creeping in. So these are some of the quotes from the article. Energy prices are rocketing. Inflation is soaring and millions are being starved of grain. Surely Johnson knew this would happen. What's your
1: response to that, David? Well, the energy price rocketing started before any of the sanctions and the inflation was uh, due mostly to the massive money printing for two years of COVID lockdown. So he is confused as he's equating everything uh, with Putin. This seems to be a very common confusion. Common confusion. And to
0: even imagine that uh, Johnson, Boris Johnson, would know that that was going to happen when Johnson's been thrown out of post for being incompetent in other areas of government. So why would a quality Guardian journalist not be able to understand reality? But he goes on. He says this, Western sanctions against Russia are the most ill-conceived and counterproductive policy in recent international history. Military aid to Ukraine is justified, but the economic war is ineffective against the regime in Moscow and devast- devastating for its unintended targets. So he's he, here he is, war hawk. He can't sort out economics, but he knows the best way to get the economics sorted out is to pump the weapons in. This is this is breakdown of a coherent thought process. World energy prices are rocketing, inflation is soaring, supply chains are chaotic, and millions are being starved of gas, grain fertilizer, yet Vladimir Putin's barbarity only escalates, as does his hold over his own people. He's away in fantasy land here, believing the reports from the Guardian and the BBC. There's no there's no other substance to this reporting. And uh, he goes on, I would be intrigued to know if any paper was ever submitted to Boris Johnson's cabinet forecasting the likely outcome for Britain of Russian sanctions. Why do they need a paper? Is the cabinet not capable of working out what their policies may or may not do?
1: Well, this is a very good question, Brian. Uh, The the idea that uh, forecasting has been our strong suit in the last two years is also an example of uh, confused thinking.
0: Okay, well, let's follow it on a little bit more. Uh, Moscow is neither small nor weak. Another observer, the Royal United Services Institute, Russia expert Richard Connolly, has charted Putin's response to the sanctions imposed on him since his 2014 seizure of Crimea and Donbass. Of course, this is not true. Their objective was to change Russia's course in those regions and deter further aggression. Their failure could hardly be more glaring. So this is a very unhappy man that things have not gone the normal way that the West thinks when it starts playing games in other countries' internal affairs. And uh, he, he then starts to complain, living costs are escalating everywhere, yet still no one dares question sanctions. Well, he should watch the UK column more often because we've been doing that on a regular basis. It's sacrilege to admit their failure or conceive retreat. The West has been enticed into the timely irony of aggression, but he's just said we should put the weapons in. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eventually, its most uh, conspicuous victim is the
1: aggressor. Perhaps, after all, we should stick to war. Wow. And I mean, um, amongst (laughs) the many things he's not talking about there, he's putting all this down to unintended consequences, right? You know, we we were just wandering along, the Western government's wandering along, not bothering anyone, and Putin just went mad and invaded Ukraine. Now, this ignores the fact that there were intelligent um, um, voices with a great deal of experience and, and knowledge of the area for years saying, if Western policy doesn't change, then eventually Russia will be goaded and forced into military action, and Ukraine is going to get wrecked. Like these voices were out there. They were they were speaking as loudly as they, as, as they could. And whilst they were being ignored we by the Guardian, one must assume that Western governments were aware of the point of view and were aware of what they're doing. It's not all unintended consequences.
0: It's certainly not. And I'm going to say thank you for the link across there, David, because where I think we should be encouraging our audience to go is, of course, to... Uh, be following the research, which shows us that it isn't governments making a national agenda or global agenda. Uh, We've got these very powerful bodies behind. And today I've chosen the Trilateral Commission. Uh, So this is just part of their website. You get the idea, those those powerful, uh, good-looking people there on stage championing a commitment to the rule of law, open economies and societies, and democratic principles. That's what they say. What they really mean is democratic principles as long as it's their principles. So go to the website, have a look at the sorts of things that they say about themselves. The Trilateral Commission is a global membership organization that for decades has brought together senior policy makers, leaders, representatives, uh, founded in 1973 by David Rockefeller. So in safe hands, David.
1: Safe hands, and this is this is the the uh, out of the mainstream view, uh, out of the public eye uh, um, uh, arena for policy to be made, and then that policy uh, is rolled out obediently by governments all across the world.
0: And we're 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 seeing this happen on a daily basis now. So if we have a look at this uh, part of their website, this is where it becomes very clear because. Global political policy is nothing to do with the nation states in the Trilats position. It's to do with creating three power blocks and these are on screen. North America, so that's Canada, the USA, and South America uh, is actually included in that power block. Uh, We've got Europe, which of course is why they've been desperate to push. With the UK not coloured in on the map. (laughs) Indeed. Uh, to push us into the European Union. And then the other block is Asia Pacific. But the problem is at the moment, of course, that neither Russia nor China want to play any of these games. Uh, but this is the plan that the world is to be reformed into three controlled geopolitical power blocks. And any nation state that gets in the way is going to be subverted, subverted and brought down. So if you want to know how this. Uh, this very powerful organization works, then a good place to go is to have a look at what they say about their leadership members and fellows. Uh, but I can't resist this quote here. Um, they're talking about preserving the commission's unofficial charter. Members who enter into government role must rotate off the commission. This is to give you the idea that it's all squeaky clean and above board. But look at the final state of sentence there in the highlighted box. Our global members represent countries for which there is no national group. So if you have a country that doesn't get involved with the Trilateral Commission, they appoint somebody to make an opinion for them. It's pretty amazing stuff. And uh, I just had a little look um, on this particular page because I thought it would be interesting if we went searching for anything to do on Ukraine. Sorry, this is the one where we're talking about people. You can scroll down and have a look at these immensely powerful people. Uh, Some of them have been in in, uh, major positions of powers in countries. Some of them are global companies. Many of them are hedge funds or legal funds. And uh, ultimately it's this style of person, apologies for the slightly wobbly scroll there, but it's these uh, people are the ones that are pulling the strings of our politicians.
1: Odd that they couldn't find a photograph of Henry Kissinger, though. Uh,
0: Well, I didn't get to the bottom of the list. It goes on and on. People get the idea. But let's jump on to this one. Uh, So this one, I had a little different look, if this plays properly. Uh, This is the one where I decided to say, well, let's have a look for Ukraine and see what happens. Now, I expected documents to come up, uh, but that wasn't what happened. What happened is we got more people coming up. And when you look at their individual CVs, uh, you will see that these people are very powerful on a world scale. And these are the sorts of people that can change the way societies work. I've just clicked on one there, Jean-Claude Trichet, Chairman of the Group of 30. If you don't know what that is, that's another powerful think tank. But he's also uh, Honorary Governor of the Bank of France, as you do, uh, President of the European Central Bank, Former European Chairman, uh, Trilateral Commission, Paris. Um, so this is the powerful elite that are
1: working, pulling the strings of people like Truss and Boris Johnson. So, do you think, Brian, that uh, the Ukrainians in trenches being shelled by the Russians um, find this uh, good news that uh, that uh, a European central banker is uh, is being a um, associated with the country and with setting policy as to how the country is going to be run?
0: I think it's worse than that. Is that what they're the fighting for? People in the trenches don't even know this stuff is going on around them. They still believe that UK is an upstanding, honest democracy, and the Americans are going to save them from the Russians. They do not realize this is happening. But let's ram the point home and have a look at this little video clip with Christine Lagarde, Giving a tribute to Mr. Trichet, the uh, Jean-Claude Trichet that we've just shown you on the screen.
3: Cher Jean-Claude, on the occasion of your handover of the European Chairmanship of the Trilateral Commission, I want to express my gratitude, my admiration, and my friendship for your outstanding contribution to the international and European economic order. Among you, many qualities and accomplishments. Let me stress three that made your involvement and leadership so valuable. First, your unwavering commitment to European integration, combined with your vision and hands-on experience in building and leading a more united Europe. The enormous responsibility of managing Europe's single currency was always perfectly safe in your hands. Second, your active support of global cooperation to work together towards resolving the great problems of our time, be that in the G7, in the IMF, or at the Paris Club, which you shared for so many years. Third, your courageous and circumspect leadership especially in times of crisis. And you have seen and managed quite a few of those, from the emerging markets debt crisis in the 80s to the great financial crisis or the euro crisis. And your lucid analysis, your ability to convince and drive towards common solutions really made the difference, as did your constant calm in the tempest finally i am sure that i speak for many in admiring your courteous, warm and enthusiastic manner as a colleague and as a friend you always were and remain a true gentleman dear jean claude thank you so much and all the best
0: well, David, I just need to wipe the tear from my eye <laughs> as that uh, very moving is, tribute was given there by Christine Lagarde. So, it, is,
1: it po- is it possible? You've you've been in a leadership position, Brian. Is it possible to have leadership that's both both courageous and circumspect?
0: <laughs> well, probably that's quite d- difficult. Um, but what has he been doing? Well, he's been bringing together United Europe. He's been working at a single currency. And then she also admits this is about global cooperation. So, this is the movement towards a one world global uh, power system. Uh, this is uh, just a bit of text from another gentleman who is, in, is involved with the Trilateral Com- uh, uh, Commission, uh, Georgi Surani. And uh, what I picked up on this text overall, we keep it very short, is right down at the bottom. Uh, But it says that Dr. Suryani is also a member of the advisory board of the independent agency of the Foundation for Effective Governance. So we haven't gone very far and we find we're into another layer of these organizations, uh, which are all driving our politicians. And of course, is this agency independent? Well, when you go and have a look at it, I don't think it is. But what has it been doing advising on the reform of the Ukrainian economy? And that economy, of course, at the moment is destroyed. It hasn't been reformed. It has been completely destroyed.
1: And what a a, a sleek little word effective is in that context.
0: Indeed. Well, let's jump on to this. And uh, uh, this was a little clip that Debbie uh, spotted on the TV. It's uh, a Sky Report. Um, Debbie, I'll just get you to comment on it very quickly. But uh, the key bit is that you've got uh, Sir Stephen uh, Lovegrove, who has casually mentioned not only a new world order, um, but the fact we have ge- genetic weapons ready to go on the platform. Although in the headline, you've, you've quite rightly suggested that this is an ad- attempted smear of blame back onto Russia.
2: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I was just, I was working and the, the television was on in the background and I heard, I heard this and I, I looked up And then I saw the ticker tape banner at the bottom as kind of like verification of what I'd heard. So I literally screenshot it because I couldn't believe that here was Sky talking about a new world order and genetic weapons all in one breath, along with a whole story surrounded by the Russians. So it's like, well, are we going to blame the Russians for that as well? I just thought it was an extraordinary thing to put up on mainstream TV. So I just wanted to snap it quickly.
0: Thank you. And uh, David, you picked up on this one. I I think this is really obscene, this tweet, and it's come from Nicola Sturgeon. Uh, I hope we're going to get an opportunity to see a little film clip in the news where somebody was arrested for tweeting out the wrong thing. Is she likely to
1: be arrested for tweeting this out? No, the rules only apply to some people. So Nicola Sturgeon here uh, tweeting in response to the uh, Ukrainian uh, government uh, Department of Defence uh, who were quoting Robert Burns as they gloated over another 140 eliminated personnel from the Russian military, claiming that uh, 41,170 had been eliminated. Whatever the eliminated means is entirely clear. And uh, Nikola tweeted out a Ukrainian flag and a, and a, and a strong arm um, and hashtag Robert Burns, hashtag solidarity. Uh, and I think, as as the population uh, pointed out that this gloating was in fact obscene, she uh, subsequently deleted the tweet, but that was how she reacted to um, the the news of more people dying.
0: Yeah, really bad. Well, let's have a look at this little Sky News clip from Australia, in contrast, uh, because we've got a journalist who's clearly starting to see through what's really happening.
4: Now, I know I'm at odds with most of my colleagues on this station and our network guests on this next item, but I really feel I can't bite my tongue any longer. You see, I think the president of the Ukraine is not all that he's portrayed as by the Western media. I mean, if you believe the spin, he's the second coming of Winston Churchill and he'll be remembered as the great hero saving his people from the evil Russians. I'm the first to admit that Putin isn't a good guy either. What the West glosses over is the terrible things that have happened to the primarily ethnic Russian people in parts of the Ukraine under Zelensky's rule. These people comprise the largest Russian community outside of Russia, and they make up about 17% of the Ukrainian population. And they live in primarily Russian regions and have effectively been in a civil war with the Ukrainian government since 2015. This was just after they were promised a vote on independence in 2014. That vote has never taken place. Zelensky promised to end the civil war. He clearly hasn't done so. Instead, he's facilitated the goading of the Russians by endorsing the right sector, whose leader publicly claimed he fed the bones of Russian children to his pet wolf. Now, apparently that was a joke, but it must have been lost on the Russians, and particularly those who felt they'd been mistreated by Ukrainian troops. Here's how Time magazine described one of them, the neo-Nazi Azov movement, just last year. <laughs> Commentator Glenn Greenwald sums it up nicely with this tweet. No rational person thinks Ukrainian neo-Nazi militias justify this war, but it's dangerous madness to scoff at the impact of arming them as the West is doing. In the words of President Zelensky, they are what they are. Have,
1: have you clear something up for us? Uh, and this is these reports about the Azov battalion that is said to be Nazi-affiliated organization operating as a militia in your country, uh, said to be committing their own atrocities. What should Americans know about that unit, about those res- reports?
3: So Azov was one of those many battalions. They are what they are.
0: Well, there we are. That says it all. But uh, we've got this interesting, uh, well, interesting comparison between the Guardian journalist who doesn't really understand what's going on in the world, but it appears that at least some of the presentators for Sky Australia are certainly asking the right questions. We'll leave you to think about that. Now, if you like what the uh, UK Column is doing, please join us, uh, come on board as a a member and get involved in the communities. And of course, you can always help us by going to the UK Column shop and uh, choosing one of the excellent products on sale. T-shirts and the bags have been going extremely well. So you need, of course, the bag to pop the T-shirt in it. So I'd advise you to purchase both. And uh, we'd uh, very much like people to share the information that we're putting out. And of course, we're on most of the social media platforms. So delighted if you take our material and share it, please attribute it to the UK column. Uh, But the idea is to inform people. Now, at the weekend, we're going to say uh, uh, Stephanie and myself had a really excellent uh, breakaway weekend because on Saturday we were visiting the uh, festival, Katie Jo's Festival, uh, which was in Battle in Sussex. A uh, little bit of an adventure to get there on uh, Britain's 2022 roads. It took us a mere nine hours from Plymouth to Hastings, but that's another story. But it was worth getting there uh, because we had a really excellent uh, event. The weather was great, everybody we met was wonderful, the music and food and drink was good. And uh, we're just so glad we were able to get there. So let's bring Katie Jo on screen. Uh, First of all, Katie Jo, I would like to thank you and your team for all the work you did, because it was truly astonishing to see what you'd managed to organise in the time. And the happy, smiling faces of everybody we spoke to was really an indication of how well you had done. Oh, thank you so much,
5: Brian. I haven't got much voice today. In fact, the whole team of volunteers were all a bit broken, but um, totally euphoric with how well it went. I um, couldn't have asked for it to have gone any better. And it was brilliant to see you and Stephanie there um, and have a little dance with you. Um, and it's great that you you managed to catch so many um, interviews with the attendees um, because I think that they all came. And I have to say a huge thank you to every single person that bought a ticket, because without you, we couldn't have... Put the event on um, but everybody came with such a positive attitude and, and the, the the giving attitude everybody wanted the festival to work um, and that made all the difference um, and it was incredibly special it was a we had small numbers obviously we were doing it on a temporary events notice so we couldn't have um a large amount of people there but that that made it incredibly special i think for the first one um and yeah i think we we achieved what we set out to achieve and that was we wanted to give every single person that has been fighting for truth and freedom for the last two years we wanted to give them a really high vibing fun time and celebration and uh, along with the incredible artists we had oh my goodness top class artists their messages in their songs um were so empowering and uplifting. Um, we, we, we were truly spoiled with the artists we had. I can't name yeah. one individually because every single person was unbelievable. and and I literally had, was turning away people right up until the weekend. I even had somebody turn up on the gate and ask to play a local um, wanted to wanted to play for us. so i I have to say a special thank you to my um sound crew, Carlo, Elizabeth, and Alan, because I put them under a lot of pressure because I had so many artists to fit in. so well, they did well and that the sound was phenomenal. it was it was, it was amazing.
0: It, it was it was really lovely case, Joan. Of course, there were there were a lot of children there of all ages who were also having a really great time. I gotta say I sympathize with you with your voice because I was speaking to people <laughs> from half ten in the morning till midnight, and I was croaking a bit on the Sunday afterwards. but never mind that. Let's have a look at a little bit of film clip which gives us a little bit of a flavor for what happened. But of course, we're working on more videos of the of, uh, independent events. And so there'll be a lot more uh, to be told in the story. But let's have a look at this little clip. We're going to tease our audience a little bit. It is a short clip, but there's a bit more, and we'll play that out in extra time uh, to enjoy the full stream. So, Katie Joe, we'll just say once again, thank you very much. You made a lot of people happy, and the key thing that was said to me by a great many people was that they found the event so wonderful, not only for the music and the general socialising, but because they could talk about anything they wanted to without feeling that they were going to be branded in some way. So that was excellent. Thank you. Well, let's move over to uh, Debbie. Uh, Debbie, as always, you've been digging into what's really coming down the pipeline and uh, you've homed in here, sorry, you've homed in on the Department of Business Energy and Industrial Strategy. Um, What are you seeing coming
2: well I have honed in on this before and apologies to um a very very sharp uh, eyed uh, listener uh, viewer picked up that I said Quasi Kwatang who runs this department used to go out with Amber Heard. <laughs> oops that was a bit of a mistake it was Amber Rudd so apologies for that so Quasi Kwatang um heads up this department and it's all sort of being I don't know it's under the radar not many people are talking about this department but if you look at them and you see exactly what they control, you can see that it's the innovation strategy, the advanced research and invention agency. So what does that actually mean um, in, in the case of, of the UK? Who are, who are the department employing to do their work? who are the UKRI and I think it's really important to for people to look at YouTube you know we keep saying I look at the MHRA I look at the NHS and here on YouTube with only 150 views is the um the global the the strategy the UKRI 2022 to 2027 strategy now this is the most revealing YouTube Um, And it really does map out where the UK are going in the future. So I would really say to everybody, please go and listen to these, because this is how you're going to get to know what's happening. So who are the UK RI? Who do they control? They've got six councils, believe it or not. And these six councils come under these umbrellas, arts and humanities, biotechnology, engineering, economic, innovate, medical research council, natural environment research, Council Research England science and technology facilities so they've got these councils underneath the umbrella of UKRI and UKRI are under the umbrella of the Department of Business and Industrial Strategy so you can see where we're going to so if we look at who's in charge and actually who was um, who was taking the YouTube uh, that we've just mentioned who was delivering that. We can see that this is Professor Dame Ottilene Laser. 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 If Alex was here, he would correct me on the pr- pronunciation, I'm sure. But she's a botanist, and she has got a huge, huge position. Because when you look at how the UKRI is funded and how much money they actually get, it's, it's mind-blowing. I mean, it's 7.9 billion pounds of budget that this organization get, mainly from the treasury, mainly from our government. So when you look at what they actually do, they are training 6, 60,000 researchers. They're training over 29,000 PhD students. They're investing in breakthroughs and discoveries. And you'll see there that AstraZeneca mentioned in the the slide on the right, in the far column on the right, you know, this is a very, very big organisation and it gets even more interesting as we go along. Um, Have a look at the organisations that they support, because honestly, you'll have to freeze the screen for this and maybe enlarge it to see all those little tiny logos and to see their portfolio. But it is enormous, and absolutely the, enormous. This uh, government department is pretty much involved with everybody. So uh, then Debbie, I decided Debbie, to look I, a little bit more.
0: Debbie, sorry, Brian, can, go on. Sorry to cut in a bit there. But, uh, you know, one of the key points that you've made to me is that there are so many people linked together from the, mm. the NHS or other government departments government departments or bodies are all linked in with the corporate and the research sector it's one huge blob uh, we've got sums of nearly eight billion pounds floating around to make it all work no accountability well no responsibility no accountability no. you can't pin down who would be at fault should anything go wrong
1: this no, is no no that. accountability no transparency the public doesn't know what's happening and Policy is then rolled out where government policy is then endorsed by apparently all of these completely independent organisations who are commercial and hard-nosed or come from the charitable sector or what have you. And they all agree with government policy. Everyone agrees. But of course, there's 7.9 billion good reasons to agree. And all of this has been agreed in advance and it's undercover.
0: Well, for, for Debbie, let's just emphasise uh, this, this couple of slides which she produced uh, because here we are with UKRI List of Approved Research Organisations. So what does approved mean? That means that you're in the club as far as I'm concerned. And uh, Debbie, you've got everywhere from the Alan Turing Institute to the, all the NHS trusts, hospitals, boards, GPs, practices, uh, the BBC, you need them involved, of course, to get the uh, proper ground across. CERN is involved, Chatham House. So this isn't just organisations which are really directly benefiting the nation with a service or a product. We've got other organisations, We haven't even the average person hasn't got a clue what they do. Uh, but it goes on here. Um, so we've got the Medi- Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency, uh, and of course they've been saying that they going they're going to help the farmers suitical uh, industry on a wide way a wide sorry a worldwide basis um it, it just it's unbelievable the mix of people here welcome trust tavistock uh, which is an interesting organization you're going to mention in a minute uh, the met office um it's virtually everybody but anybody who would be a member of the community who might want to do something good for the country or is that a bit cynical, Debbie?
2: No, it's exactly my point, Brian. It's exactly my point in that when you start to look at these organisations and, and these, government, um, these government-run departments and you start to dig down, you can see that it's a complete and utter web of deception. Everybody's involved in this. And this this department, this government department and the UKRI, seem to be the umbrella agency. And on the YouTube, if people want to to have a look back and and look at the YouTube, they actually admit we get a lot of money. (laughs) Yes, they do. And it's our money they're getting. But how many of us know that they even existed?
0: Well, not many is the answer, and um, presumably until people were watching the UK column, Uh, Just moving on quickly, Debbie, uh, you've been tracking Susan Mickey for some time now, but this lady has got this top post now with the World Health Organization on their behavioral advisory group. Uh, So you've labeled her here the communist queen, which seems to be a pretty good label to me.
2: Yeah, it kind of reminds me. Susan Mickey, I don't know what she's thinking of. She can't be that clever, can she? Because here's this woman that wants us all to wear masks. She wants to track and trace everybody, know where everybody is. But what she doesn't realise is that when she blocks one person on Twitter, she blocks all their followers as well. And I think on that slide, she was referring to Right Said Fred, interestingly, I think, although I haven't double-checked. But, you know, people people that um, she's blocking, she's also blocking all of their followers. So how can she possibly know what anybody's saying? Well, she's well, kind of uh, scoring an own goal there.
0: Toby, let's give the meat of that, because uh, uh, what, what's being said on screen is that when Mickey blocked the Freds, because she was using software which uh, then does things automatically, so she blocked, uh, we'll say, one person who's who's communicating with her on Twitter, by using the software she used, she also blocked their 158,000 followers. So this is this is how arrogant these people are and how powerful they are compared to the ordinary human being that can just press the block button and, and get rid of somebody. Well, uh, let's move on because we just want to uh, give a little advert that tomorrow after the Uh, sorry, tomorrow, during the new slot. uh, We're looking to play out a very good interview that uh, you've done, Debbie, uh, with Dr. Ross Jones, a retired consultant paediatrician, and uh, Dr. Christian Buckland, psychotherapist. We've interviewed him before, but this was a very good uh, team that uh, you sat down and had a talk with. And um, just give us a little bit of, very little bit of comment before we move on.
2: Well, it was a fascinating, absolutely fascinating interview. And I would thoroughly recommend everybody, especially parents, watch this because we were talking about the impact of vaccinations on five to 11 year olds predominantly, which we believe is what's going to be rolled out in the autumn. And Dr. Ros Jones is a retired consultant paediatrician, so it's vital advice there.
0: Okay, thank you for that. And if uh, things go to plan, we're also going to play out. It'll appear as one video, but it will in fact be two interviews uh, because you also did an interview which was really about this atrocious BBC documentary, Unvaccinated, uh, led by uh, Professor Hannah Fry, the mushroom lady, of course. I don't know whether she was on mushrooms at the time, maybe, uh, but uh, you're going to be interviewing one of the people who participated in that event and said really how disgraceful it was.
2: Yeah, I I was extremely fortunate in being able to interview Luca Barbarossa and um, I hope very much it it will go up tomorrow because it is an exclusive. He hasn't spoken to anybody um, since the programme and what he reveals about what went on behind the camera as well as in front of the camera is quite extraordinary. So that really is one to watch and he doesn't hold back. And he's extremely honest, refreshingly um, informed. He knows exactly he's done a huge amount of research. So I I think we owe all of that group, especially Luca, a a huge, a huge round of applause and, and gratitude for what they've actually uncovered.
0: Okay, thank you very much. Now, just as a very quick interlude, and we're going to say a big thank you to whoever took these images. We don't know where the images actually came from, but the message is pretty clear. Uh, here, are, here is a police vehicle. Well, you would have thought maybe it was for a, uh, a carnival or something, but we've got a police vehicle with the Stonewall logo on it. Uh, I, I found this quite, a, quite incredible. Uh, there's more vehicles here. Some of them are from Northumbria Police, some I think at, at Thames Valley, but you can clearly see in the vehicle on the left, the Stonewall.
1: So uh, this, this lady here, being you, is not a crime. So if you're a neo-Nazi racist, is, is, is she is she endorsing you? <laughs> well, of course they would they
0: wouldn't want it to swing that side of the uh, line, would they? But uh, the point is that our police should be independent; they should be impartial. Uh, but that is not the case. They are now supporting actively political agendas. Somebody's picking them up here because we've got a lady standing by the car with uh, a banner which says woman, or women, a noun, adult, human, female. So there's a little bit of a pushback here. But if you go to Northumbria Police website, they're boasting that uh, they've been lucky enough to get another stonewall commendation for how well they look after uh, their gay community. Uh, But of course, for everybody, whether you are straight or you're gay, what this really means is the police are are no longer independent. And um, if they choose, they're going to make a decision on who they arrest depending on uh, their political allegiances. Now, this uh, Twitter page Fair Cop has got a lot of information. I've only recently come across it. So I'm taking it at face value. But some really good material, including a little film clip. We're not going to show that clip today because we're a little bit short of time. But it shows a gentleman being arrested for simply having made a statement on Twitter. Uh, More on that in due course. Now, David, you've been waiting to tell us about the Tavistock Centre, which, of course, has has been in the press many times over a great many years, but it finally appears that uh, the truth is coming to the surface.
1: Yes, this is Tavistock and Portman Portman NHS Trust, the uh, Tavistock Clinic for uh, Treating uh, Children with Gender Confusion and Gender Issues and it's, uh, it's, its closure has been announced. Now, this was generated from the Cass review. It's an independent uh, review by Dr. Hilary Cass, um, and you see there an extract from the report, um, interim report from February this year. Uh, she writes, within the UK, the single specialist service has developed, developed organically, uh, and the clinical approach has not been subject to some of the usual control measures that are typically applied when a new or innovative treatment is introduced. Many of the challenges and knowledge gaps that we face in the UK are echoed internationally. There are significant gaps in the research and evidence base. So this is based on very little that's substantial. Um, Now she continues here. um, She talks about the limited uh, evidence of mental or neurodevelopmental assessments being carried out. So if these uh, children are suffering from uh, mental health problems, it's simply not being covered. Uh, and, and critically, she describes the lack of conceptual agreement about the meaning of gender dysphoria. It hampers research and clinical service provision. So the whole thing is, just, is, is uncontrolled and is being driven down, down paths and avenues that are um, not based on anything sound or solid or scientific. Um, and she she can she continues uh, that there have there haven't been uh, assessments of uh, the outcomes uh, people are going down these pathways and they're experiencing regret and these are not being recorded or tracked or or assessed uh, really at all um, she continues. Much of the existing literature about the natural history and treatment outcomes for gender dysphoria in childhood is based on a case mix predominantly birth registered males presenting in the early childhood. This was what uh, the, the 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 trans child issue used to be. It was very rare. It was generally males, and the the issue became apparent at a very early age. She says there's much less data on the more recent case mix predominantly females, and and uh, presenting in their early teens something that's entirely new. Uh, Aspects of literature are open to interpretation in multiple ways. There is a risk that some authors interpret their data from a particular ideological or theoretical standpoint. And she concludes that a fundamental different service model is needed. So it was very scathing. Although it was moderate language, it was really very scathing. So here's the BBC reporting it. NHS to close the Tavistock Child Gender Identity Clinic. and they then quote Kira Bell. Now, Kira Bell was one of the children harmed by this particular clinic. Kira Bell, who brought a high court case against the Tavistock, challenging its use of puberty blockers, said she was pleased it was closing down, adding, many children will be saved from going through, going down the path that I went down. So this is someone who is harmed and who's applauding the, the, the closure of the clinic to prevent other children suffering in the same way. And the BBC immediately followed this up with LGBT rights group Stonewall said it was pleased the NHS was addressing unacceptable waiting times faced by young trans people. So there's an immediate attempt by the, M- by the BBC there and by Stonewall to muddy the issue. It's yeah. not care, it's not harm, it's just waiting times. If we could get more of this, it would be better. And can
0: I, I just emphasise the point there that those two... Um, Uh, two uh, sentences juxtaposed alongside each other that was in the original article that's not you highlighting those they it went from the statement from the
1: young girl to the statement by uh, exactly exactly so that wasn't edited that was the order the bbc presented yeah so the the bbc continues more the bbc uh sorry miss bell I told BBC Radio 4, I went through a lot of distress as a teenager. Really, I just needed some mental health support and therapy. For everything I'd been through, there needs to be mental health support first and foremost. In the case of Keira Bell, now age 25, she was prescribed puberty blockers, age 16. She then received testosterone shots a year later, and age 20 had a double mastectomy. Dr. David Bell, not related, A former consultant psychiatrist at the Tavistock NHS Foundation Trust, where he raised concerns, said it's a good thing the service is closing down. He told the BBC some children have got a a double problem of living with the wrong treatment and the original problems weren't addressed, uh, with complex problems like trauma, depression um, and large instances of autism. And again, after that, the BBC bring up Stonewall. A Stonewall spokesperson said the creation of new specialist regional centres in London and Manchester will, and with more to follow, will go some way to addressing well, the strain experience well, by having just a single centralised service.
0: You say that was Stonewall, but that may be the police statement. <laughs> Maybe. We, we don't know. Maybe that was Northumbria police speaking. <sighs>
1: Who knows? So, but Stonewall are, well, we'll come to just the, just the influence Stonewall have had in this. Now, the, the, the response to this has been fascinating. So here we have a letter to the Times. And this is, again, from Dr. David Bell, former uh, consultant psychiatrist and governor at the Tavistock Clinic, right? Now, he says that the caste report uh, is important uh, and marks uh, the uh, his marks a history of mistreatment of children and young people with gender dysphoria who were put onto a medical pathway with insufficient exploration and little consideration of consent, right? Now, tell me what else this reminds you of. So little consideration of consent, the complete lack of follow-up, Right, for those who have undergone treatment, uh, with what can only be regarded as experimental treatment is lamentable. So no consent, experimental treatment, no follow-up. Staff who raised concerns were intimidated. Staff intimidated. What does this remind you of, Brian? I think it reminds me of the vaccination programme. Exactly. This is, this is exactly what happened in COVID. Um, and uh, uh, Dr. Bell here also says that, um, uh, that the... Um, Mischaracterization um, of, of the, the clinic closing as a problem of capacity is, is inaccurate because it's not a matter of capacity. You don't need more capacity for the wrong treatment. He's making the point that the treatment that was offered was was wrong and was harmful. Um, now it gets even more interesting. So here we see Kemi Badenoch, who was minister responsible for this particular area of policy at one stage, and obviously I was fourth in the, the recent uh, leadership election for the, for the Conservative Party. She says, I can't state enough how profound this decision is, talking about the closure of the Tavistock Centre. Uh, There's lots I can say now I'm no longer Equalities Minister. Personal testimonies heard of destroyed childhoods, protecting whistleblowing clinicians from endless harassment by Twitter activists, and battles fought to get the review going, the smearing of women who had serious concerns as TERFs and bigots. How this links to wider problems, such as the credulity of some MPs who allow policymaking to be subverted by groups, e.g. Stonewall UK, in exchange for retweets. No. So no. this is a government minister, former government minister, saying Stonewall UK and, and Twitter harassment was driving the policy.
0: But there's something else in there, David. The clock is ticking. We've got a sharp eye on the clock. But but she's also saying, well, while I was in post, I couldn't speak. Why couldn't she speak?
1: Exactly. Did she have
0: her mouth taped up? No, she couldn't speak because she was worried about what the backlash would be from the uh, political whips, is the answer, or I would suggest it is.
1: Well, there's more from Kemi here. She's writing in the Telegraph, Uh, about how civil servants prevented me from learning the truth about the Tavistock Clinic. Um, She said, um, she described the civil servants uh, as follows. She claimed that the civil servants fell into three categories. She said there was a small minority of activists who were not impartial, a large group who will just do whatever is easiest and some really brilliant ones. So that's her view of what the civil service has become. Yeah. And it's obvious that in this case, it's the activists that have been driving policy. And we'll finish off on this. Um, Kathleen Stock, who was uh, recently hounded out of the University of Sussex, is writing on this. Why the Tavistock had to fall. Um, now, uh, the, she she's, first quotes a spokesman uh, from the Tavistock. Over the last couple of years, our staff in GIDS, that's the Gender Identity Development Service, have worked tirelessly and under intense scrutiny in, in a difficult climate. She says, presumably, what this really means is, uh, as is now known for several years, kids have been caught between the emotional blackmailing demands of trans activist organisations such as Mermaids and Gays, uh, talking constantly about suicide risk and lobbying hard for yet more relaxed attitudes to medicalising children and the criticisms of those who, who profoundly object to the notion of a trans child in the first place. Former employees such as Susan Evans have reported the historical influence of mermaids maids and girls on the managers at the service, despite the lack of formal medical expertise and possession of clearly vested interests. So she carries on and she describes um, here uh, Bernadette Wren, head of psychology, for 25 years at the Tavi. Uh, and she this this woman quotes well, lists her own interests and, and, and philosophical outlook as. Uh, post-structuralist and our formative influences including Michel Foucault, who we've mentioned many times in the column. And uh, again, quoting uh, ren's um, own own writing, uh, if the idea of living so this is this is Wren who was a um, driving force at the Tavistock clinic. if the idea of living in the postmodern era means anything, it is, a, is that all of our, all of our activity Uh, Together, we are in the business of making meaning. Um, There is is an implication here for our work in gender identity clinics that we are in the business of helping actively to construct the idea and the understanding of transgender. And for this, we should accept responsibility. So the person who's, who's integral into the generation of the clinic is saying that they are generating the crisis that they are treating they are treating. Yeah. Uh, and um, the, 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 the piece completes with a, a, a summary here. When looking for a suitable metaphor for clinic clinicians and the endocrinologist associates, we should probably think about sirens luring passing young sailors with enticing songs to the ruin on the rocks. So this is how she's saying that the children have been treated. Yeah. And just to finally close off, there's another clinic, this one in Glasgow, with the same policy. Uh, it's called the Sandiford. No word yet from the Scottish government as to whether the closure of the Tavistock clinic will have any effect on what's happening in Scotland.
0: Well, I'm, I'm just going to say, David, it seems to me that our children are under attack from every which direction. And uh, these people have got a lot to answer for. We'll save detail for, a, for another time. Let's just end here with a pretty startling image of your she, your favourite lady. Our dear
1: leader. In Scotland, we refer to her as the dear leader for reasons which I'm sure are obvious. So here we have Nicola Sturgeon, who was recently called uh, an attention seeker. And here we have a Twitter uh, warrior in Scotland asking why anyone might think that Nicola Sturgeon is an attention seeker. And I think those images answer that question in full.
0: Okay, we'll leave it there. Um, Debbie and Katie Jo, thank you very much for joining us. I was watching your faces there while we were going through the Tavistock Clinic, and I know you would like to um, comment on that. So we will certainly reintroduce that subject again for you, but we must close now. Thank you very much to all our audience, wherever you are in the world. And uh, we will have, we'll say goodbye now for the main news. Uh, we will have a short break. Uh, but we will be doing an extra time today. So David, thank you for joining me in the news. We will be back shortly. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye.